up, Jamie? How you doing? Brother, how are you? I'm good. I got some spotty calm cell phone coverage right now. That's okay. That's okay. We'll make do. We'll make do. You can always how overcome. Do you hear me right now? Do I need to put earphones on or do you hear me all right? I hear you perfectly. Okay. I hear you perfectly. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, so have you heard of this old grab podcast, this podcasting that I do with our classmates? I I have heard of it. I haven't listened to it yet. Okay. Well, I mean, just a high level, it's kind of a labor of love. It started as a uh, little project related to our 30-year reunion and uh, just building awareness around our class gift, but it turned into this kind of uh, project where I would get a chance to interview classmates. And I also interviewed, uh, a, a I recently had the blood lady on, which was pretty cool. Uh, Chris <laughs> but the actual one? The actual, the actual blood lady, the one who was the, our actual blood lady, she was on. Where is she now? She is in North Carolina. She's not far from you. She's down in uh, Pinehurst. And uh, yeah, so she's, she, she gave her sort of like perspective of what it was like to be, you know, the blood lady uh, back in the day, which is fun, you know. What did she say when we drowned her out every time? So it turns out that was part of the shtick. She never actually prepared a speech. She always knew that. She always <laughs> knew that she was going to get drowned out, you know? It was like, and um, so she, um, yeah, so like, I guess the origin of the story was that the previous blood lady talked too long and the cadets began to cheer just to drown her out. And then she knew like this, this thing happened, like where there was this kind of, um, I don't know, like this mob mentality of people building on each other, like screaming, screaming over each other. And then and then it just created this thing. So she loved it. She had nothing but good things to say about West Point and about her experience there. And, and actually, two of her two of her kids went there to West Point. Oh, I, I didn't yeah. know that. Did they overlap yeah. with her kids and her? We didn't. We didn't overlap with her. Oh yeah, they over they overlap with her. She said that she was that they were mortified that their mother was a blood lady. When they were <laughs> I think one was like ninety six and the other one was like two thousand or something. So it was it was fun talking to her and and so so I recently had her on. I was, I also had General Bramlett on talking about our time uh, there at West Point as well. So. It is kind of evolved to be like this memory lane story, but it kind of stitches also the lessons learned, the impact it's had on our lives. And, um, you know, the whole thing is, um, gosh, it's been going on for five years. I've interviewed, I think, 70 classmates or so, maybe more. And it's been a lot of fun talking about it. And one of the things that keeps coming up is the story about the goat, the goat getting stolen. And so your name has come up a few times. And you know, first of all, I got to say also how incredibly honored I am to have your time here. Uh, you know, I know you're super busy. Uh, obviously, a lot going on in the world. You got huge responsibility. So for you to make time to talk to me like this, is, it's, a, it's a tremendous honor. And I know our classmates will be very grateful for it as well. Uh, brother, come on. I, uh, I, feel, I feel guilty of uh, not doing it sooner. And uh, I'm literally, uh, so I just got done with the chief of staff of the army. I hopped in a car and I'm driving uh, like three hours ago speak uh, with another one of our classmates, Roan Reed, and a thing he put on and then drive back to Liberty after that for another two and a half, three hours tonight. But uh, this is, this. so this time is, is, is a good time. Now the, the cell phone like coverage might be spotty, like I said, but uh, I apologize for not, 
getting on sooner with you. No, it was perfect. Perfect here. And and let me say also, like, like in terms of your your comments and what we're gonna talk about tonight, it's gonna be kind of the G-rated or maybe PG 13 version of, of your life. I mean, when that time comes for you to take the uniform off and move off into the next phase, I definitely want to get you on again to, uh, you know, get your perspectives. You know, I know that for a lot of our classmates who have been active duty, who've been on the call, you know, we've been very uh, judicious with uh, maintaining OPSEC and maintaining, uh, you know, uh, uh, apolitical perspectives on, on everything. So, so we'll continue to do that, of course. Um, but anyway, can you give me the quick lay of the land? Like you're at Liberty, family, you know, um, your, your, your role for those who don't know, uh, would love to hear that. Yeah. So currently assigned as the commanding general of the United States army special operations command, USASOC, uh, stationed here at Fort Liberty. Um, and USASOC, uh, it's, it's pretty big. We have about 36,000 people, um, installations across the globe. And then we've got, um, perpetually deployed about three to 4,000 people at any one time in about 80 different countries and responsible for everything from the schoolhouse for special forces, civil affairs, and psychological operations. And then the organized train, equip and employment of special operations, aviation, um, anything that's underneath, uh, army special operations, Rangers, again, special forces, civil affairs, and, and, uh, psychological operations. So, uh, it's pretty neat. Uh, it's honestly pretty neat to still have the uniform on. It's pretty neat to still be a, at least meet the men's standard to be accepted in the club and uh, not be kicked out. Uh, but I get I get the best job in the world. I get to come to work with motivated people who want to make a difference in the world. And there's no shortage of opportunities of uh, you know national security challenges right now. Um, and that's why people come to SOF is to do something real uh, and make an impact. So to be surrounded with people like that every day. I mean, it is awesome to come to work. It just, uh, it keeps you motivated of like, uh, how do I, how do I keep contributing to this team and trying to make a difference and, and contribute in some way, shape or form. So, uh, that's the kind of professionally where I'm at right now. It's been a twist and turns like most army careers, bunch of moves, uh, a bunch of different jobs. Um, and, and a lot of luck timing and fortunate things to, to bounce my way. I mean, it, it, it feels absolutely weird to, you know, think of like, Oh, Hey, you're a Lieutenant general. Like that was never, <laughs> that was certainly not a goal and certainly not a realistic expectation uh, for my standing as a cadet uh, for sure. Uh, back in the day, don't think I was, I never, I, I wow, never above the rank of Sergeant because I was either in trouble or, uh, I guess I didn't, I wasn't the most likely to succeed cadet, you know, uh, back in the day, but very formative years back there. I look back uh, fondly with all the classmates. Um, uh, I got, I got, I've got, I've got some compatriots in the car with me right now. Probably laugh at, I'm probably very similar to was when I was still a cadet of, if I had two minutes before class, I could take a nap. I would, that's two minutes, like, but why show up early, right? <laughs> Just get there on time. Um, but yeah, work, work is great. I've been blessed. Um, it's, it's been a crazy last couple of decades with the, you know, the war. Um, but even before the uh, war, it was pretty busy too. So that, and that's true for everybody in the army. That's not unique 
uh, for me. But I, I absolutely feel fortunate to have been able to live a, a life of service to the nation. So I consider myself blessed and lucky. That's incredible. That's incredible. Um, and, and family perspective, I know I was, I've had the great honor of intersecting with you in different points in your career, different family events. Um, I, I recall really getting a chance to talk to your two brothers, uh, one uh, FBI, the other one state trooper, you know, yeah. the family and service uh, kind of go hand in hand. Um, and uh, your, your wonderful mom and your, your relatives and, and of course your, your kids and, and your, and, and your lovely bride, Mel, who was like your partner and all of this, what, what, a, what, what a blessed uh, and charmed life you've had so far. I, I could certainly say that. Yeah. It, uh, I'll start with my wife who is the best patriot of them all. Uh, Cause it's not easy. It's not easy to be married to a soldier um, the last couple of decades. So while she didn't raise her hand to support and defend the Constitution of the United States, she is absolutely serving in her way. Um, she has a much harder job uh, raising our, our five you know, beautiful kids. Um, much tougher job. Uh, I think it's easier to be away sometimes than it is to be home and then not have touch points or phone calls or updates just with the, the lifestyle I've led. Um, so I couldn't be blessed more than uh, having Miss Melanie as my, my wife and bride, of which I would not be married without you having some some way shape or form and helping in that you know uh you know going back in time to previous army navy games um which may we can maybe talk about before but you were part of that uh you know proposal and stuff so wouldn't be here without you jamie uh but <laughs> 20 five, five, five kids uh 21 down to four and uh you know you mentioned my brothers who are inspirationally to to me as well of uh living different lives to service there at the federal and at the local and state level of law enforcement, which is my mom, if she was, uh, you know, on this, she would not have turned on a podcast probably so I'll have to point her towards it, but uh, she doesn't know what she did to get us to all grow up and kind of choose a similar uh, life path, but uh, super fortunate, super blessed. Um, Coming up on army Navy week and this goes back to a story that we keep hearing over and over again from our cadet time was the time that you and several of our classmates uh, heisted the GOAT in 1990. And so what I'm looking to do with our call here and the other calls that I'm having is put together a montage of different perspectives of the GOAT getting stolen. Uh, and so I, um, I mentioned to you before that I had General Bramlett on my podcast with me. And I got a chance to talk to him about his perspective of what it was like to be the commandant when the goat got stolen. And I also have, um, I have a little clip here I want to play. Hopefully you'll be able to hear it and where he talks a little bit about you. Very, very embarrassing. The, the Navy commandant, and, and traditionally, the, the both service academies put each other off limits. So it's off limits. And we pledged to do our utmost to keep any shenanigans. And so when when uh, the goal was stolen, it was embarrassing for me. Um, the alumni loved it, but they weren't the commandant. The alumni just was ecstatic. And I was embarrassed. I had to apologize to the Navy commandant, which is painful. Uh, as, as I recall, not, none of the, the offender, I didn't know who they were. Now, 
<laughs> I don't know. I've seen John Braga when he was here. He was stationed here. He and I never never talked about it. Jim Eisenhower. I, I got to know he was here. We he never mentioned that he was uh, one of them. And um, who was the other one? Who's Omar the Omar Jones. Omar Jones. Yeah, he it was the first captain the next year. Right. And he never mentioned it. So so they kept it a closely guarded secret. I never really pushed it because I think probably deep down I thought, well, oh, way to go. So one of the things I asked him about, and I'm just curious, I mean, it just so happens of the eight cadets who stole the goat, three of them are currently serving general officers in the army. So what are the chances of that? Like, does it speak somehow to the, to the culture of being a little bit of a risk taker, being a little bit of a rogue? You know, you mentioned like you never rose above the rank of cadet sergeant uh, as a cadet. Do you think that maybe there's a correlation between risk-taking and success as it relates to your career and maybe the careers of uh, General Eisenhower and, 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 uh, and uh, General Jones? Uh, I think it's a fantastic question. I'm a firm believer in uh, you must take risks. Uh, you must be bold. There's lots of different special operations mottos and motifs around the world. Uh, know that talks about boldness and who dares wins and uh you know i think special operations i think it's required to be somewhat of a risk taker on national security business i i don't uh that's not unique to special operations but it, it certainly it, it i think it was uh felt like part of my dna felt like home when i when we would have predicted that we would have been general officers back out there by general Bram, ramlet uh, it was it was random at and i almost felt like going back to a cadet with and went back into defense back in the mode there. But it's good to hear his voice. He's a huge fan, a huge uh, supporter of the military still to this day. Uh, I apologize for making his life uh, life tough back then, but I, I uh, we got the win, right? Beat Navy. We got the win. Yeah, we beat Navy. <laughs> so uh, we purely looked at it as how can we motivate uh, the school, the team, technically broken some rules, but we could, we could get into that. Uh, we thought it would certainly we never we did start that journey of how can you make the uh, commandant's life uh, life difficult. It was about motivating uh, the school, the team, the corps uh, to beat Navy, really. And, and you know, do no harm, uh, you know, there at the same time, do it within the spirit of a spirit mission. Um, so there's a lot of painstaking, detailed planning that went into it to make sure we, we thread that needle uh, on everything. But the. uh so yeah, I don't know if there's something there in the, on the risk-taking uh, part. Um, you know, another weird fact, this is not necessarily all a classmate thing, um, but it's a, a company thing. You know, we were company E4. Uh, we took that pretty seriously. Uh, inspiration that was needed out there. So inside company E4, if you think about it, you've got General Pappas, four-star force comm commander right now, myself, uh, Jim Eisenhower, and then you got Phil Ryan, who's also out there as a, uh, running a special operations task force downrange in the Middle East uh, as we speak. So in a weird way from one company, that was uh, uh, pretty unique as well. But I don't know if there's if there's something in the water. We lived in the lost 50s and there were some, uh, uh, some, some minerals in the water or something like that. Uh, but I go back to it. It's a lot of luck and timing uh, and fortunate things to happen your way to, to make it this long in the Army. But the risk-taking... Whether I ended as a captain or as a cadet, I thought that was, uh, I thought that's what you're supposed to be doing. Um, 
in, in yeah. as a member, uh, as a soldier and a special operator, and at that time, uh, a cadet. So on another call at another time, we can talk about some of those other risks when it's a little less, uh, uh, you know, a public, I mean, we only less of a public figure, let's say, but I'm looking forward to that. You know, so I also, I want to share this other clip with you. This is Ted Russ, right? So uh -huh. Ted, Ted Russ, who, who, he was also on my podcast and we're going to have him back and we're going to, you know, reflect some more about what it was like. Um, he, so in speaking of like, you know, the ethos of E4, which, you know, was call it kind of pushing the limit Maybe not so academically fixated, but really <laughs> just high, highly spirited. So I asked Ted in this clip, um, what was that like? That moment that you guys were driving away with the goat. What does that feel like? Like what? Like were you just like, I can't believe we just pulled this off? Like like a, a top of the world? Like, what, yeah. what? What are you thinking? Yeah, yeah. That that was. I'm embarrassed to tell you. But. I mean, that was the high point of my cadet career. I mean, of I was course. a very feeling a <laughs> lackluster, uh, somewhat medium below average kind of dude. And that was, that was my, that's the thing I'm most proud of. Of course. And driving off away, driving off away from that dairy farm with the goat, I felt fantastic because there was probably 20 minutes we were on that dairy farm when I thought we I was like, shit, do I don't know where it is. We're not going to get it. And I just couldn't imagine going back after two years of planning and, you know, the, the memory and inspiration of these iconoclastic upperclassmen in my head, like, and then Ted couldn't get it done. Right, you know? right. Getting back to the whole ethos of E4, I mean, you know, what matters for E4 is not, you know, getting that great grade on a WPR or winning first in the in the uh, in the in the brigade championship, it was stealing the goat, right? That was that was what E four was all about, right? Yeah, it was a different. It was a little bit of a subculture. I mean, we, were, uh, but also for a culture, it was just we had our unique perspective on uh, of West Point, but in our unique way, and uh, and I wouldn't call us traditionalists. Yeah, we weren't. We were. We definitely weren't the best drillers. Uh, probably weren't the most academically gifted. Um, but I would like to think we had the most spirit. Uh, so we, we, uh, yeah, we proud, we, we did quite a few spirit missions. So we did everything, uh, uh, from stealing our tack officer's, uh, horse and, and bring it in and try and get into our office on the, on the second floor. That might be a whole different podcast because, uh, we thought the horse was going to be small. His name Daisy ended up being like, I don't know what, it was like, it's like a damn Clydesdale wouldn't fit in the vehicle we got to, to put it in and stuff. But, but we'd go in the underground steam tunnels. That was kind of uh, passed down from our company mates ahead of us and stuff. But we really enjoyed the spirit. It kind of kept your sanity since you weren't living a normal uh, college life. Uh, it certainly kept uh, it kept kept me inspired and and, uh, and sanity throughout. I think we really embraced that as a company as a whole there. So it was pretty neat culture there. We really stuck together as a company. It was it was. Uh, a unique bonding camaraderie there amongst all the company mates and the classes. So it was just uh, very unique. So very proud of that, that lineage. Um, and yeah, certainly a highlight of, of my career uh, as a cadet, because I don't think I had much else to brag about. Um, and, you know, and we thought it was going to end after that too, you know, so 
might as well go out swinging then. Speaking of which, so we, we're joined here by your company mate, Andy Iliff. He's on the, he's on the call. I don't know if you can see him there. What's, What's up? up? What's up, Braggs? Hey, James. Hey, Ed. How you doing, brother? I'm doing good, man. <laughs> You're looking good. You're still at Sa school. Saving, saving the world? Uh, no, just doing my part. That's all. That's all. Yep. Uh, so, so if uh, Jamie just asked me what it was like driving, or he's asked Ted, he played an audio clip on Ted, what it was like driving away after stealing the goat. Um, and there was a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of things we won't probably cover everything on the podcast, but there, I mean, some of the things on the, on the drive away of how we felt, but then we still had to get back for a uh, bed check and all that. And we had a whole, we had a whole disinformation plan, uh, which we could get into, but on the drive back, Andy, do you remember the drive back? <laughs> yeah. How could I forget that one? The uh, actually, let's see, you had a, what'd you have a, 280z or something like that a yep. little sports car yeah yeah and and we we're driving back in that in that sports car and um we were falling asleep because we had been up for a long time on this mission and uh so i actually you were driving and i think you wanted me to keep you awake and i definitely failed that job because i think <laughs> i fell asleep and then next thing i remember is I think uh, the your car went under big old Mack truck and uh, we got in an accident and we basically got caught under a Mack truck and luckily it, it kind of flew off and, and went spinning down an embankment and went into, into the trees and the forest and they had a big old branch in the, in the window. And I, um, I think you came out pretty good, but I, I think I had a concussion. Um, hold on, hold on one second. Let me back up. So this yep. is this is this is un this is undocumented part of the night. You got into a car accident the night that you stole the goat. Oh uh, yeah, I totaled my car. It was the next. Yep. So we, the rest of the night was long because we had to move the goat to a farm. And and uh, again, super detailed planning, which Ted and and Ike and Jim can go into. But we had a plan for the farm. We had a a movement plan. We had a deception plan, a counter messaging. You know, basically psyop plan. We had. It was very detailed. So we had kind of fallout plan, like no one could give up the, the goat. Uh, we, we, we had OPSEC plans there. Uh, so, but the rest of the night, you know, getting it to the farm, getting it set up, getting some propaganda uh, footage and, and uh, for a video, which we made and some pictures, because we had a whole rollout with uh, national level media and the rest. That's a different part of the story. Um, but so then the next day we were driving back, um, and I did have, a, we had a, a sports car and Andy was in the passenger seat, but I got clipped in the back left quarter of the, the, the car and an 18 wheeler ran over the engine compartment, hit the Jersey barrier, Mr. If Mr. Jersey, uh, we hit the Jersey barrier and then we kicked out from the 18 wheeler and started doing three sixties. And that's why I reached over and like basically punched Andy to wake him up. Like, Hey, you need to wake up. You need to wake up. We're going to die, basically. Maybe I should have kept him asleep. So I was just kind of praying to get off the road. We'd do like a 180, and we didn't. When we took out like three front, got run over. The back was smushed in. We had to crawl front or back of the car. So, yeah, the goat cost me uh, my own, my car, my first car, basically. Yep. And and actually, I think uh, I think we actually took a trip to the hospital, 
and uh, on the way back, but we had to make it back for formation. We had to make it for bed check. We had to make it back for taps. Where we... Yeah, Ted, Ted says in, in his, he said there, there had been a Navy home game. So you knew the goat was going to be home. You knew where yeah. it was being stored. And then you had a cow in your company whose girlfriend had a farm for you to drop yeah. it off, right? And so then as he tells the story, the um, Omar Jones, who was down at the Naval Academy's exchange cadet, he starts taking a lot of heat down there and they're closing in on the fact that it might be locally at a farm, right? So this is Andy. This is where your, your parents, the civilians come in, come into the play, right? So we, we, we opconned, opconned Mr. and Mrs. Iliff to do what? So the, uh, we knew, we knew we were in trouble. We knew we had to get the goat up pretty fast, but we couldn't actually go down there. Um, cause I think it was during the week. Right. And so I gave my father a call and the, the call was pretty funny because I, I called him and I said, hey, hey, dad, uh, you want to go on a top secret military mission? And he was like, yeah, sure. That sounds great. And I said, OK, well, we stole Navy's goat. And he goes, you did what? And I, we go, we stole Navy's goat. And he said, we need you to pick him up. And I said, we need you to pick him up and keep him somewhere up in near where you live um, to keep the goat safe. And then you have to bring the goat um, to West Point for us. And he said, all right. So he actually, my, uh, at the time, my grandmother was really old and she had a, a specialized van, uh, to get her into the van. So he had a wheelchair. So he took her van and he basically took everything out of it and he threw a bunch of hay in the van and he, he just drove down to where we told him to go. He went to the farm, um, and he picked up the goat. And some of the instructions uh, when he got down there was pretty funny because uh, he was told that the goat was kind of ornery, right? It's got, it was kind of a mean goat. And so he, uh, he decided that it would be a good idea to maybe like give the goat a little drink to calm him down. So he, he basically uh, fed the goat some Jack Daniels uh, from Annapolis all the way up into uh, Sussex County, uh, New Jersey. Took him about five hours. And then what was funny is he kept he kept the goat in the, his backyard on a line for a little bit. And then he transferred the goat to a, a guy that he knew nearby that had a farm. It was the Broderick's farm. And he kept the goat overnight um, at the Broderick's farm. And then the next morning he uh, he picked up the goat and he came up to West Point and he delivered the goat and in order for him to do this, this was funny, pretty, pretty funny too. We asked him to drive up right to the front steps of the dining facility. And, uh, you know, he, he's not allowed to, to drive up there, but he did it anyway. He was like, yeah, sure. That sounds great. Wait, wait, wait. He, he drove onto the apron. He drove onto the apron with his car. He did. Yep. Oh, goodness. That's crazy. <laughs> he, he drove up there and we met him and we had, um, you know, we had our, black masks on everything well, on. else let's just back up the story a little bit because let's talk about west point like what it was like because you're all getting pressure at west point because it came it, it, you you came up on the short list of likely uh likely companies to heist the goat right they said the goat got stolen like it's probably e4 right yeah. next yeah. thing you know there's pressure mounting on e4 uh ted russ tells the story about the tack calling in Pete got a easy Pete. And you guys had made the you guys had made the call. You said, we cannot have any cadets who have disciplinary records um, part of this heist because they got too much to lose. It's got to be people with 
fairly clean records. I mean, that could take a big hit if he got a big hit. So he was out, right? And I think yep. you also didn't you didn't brief him. So when the tack brought him in and said, "Tell me about this goat," he said, "Sir, I don't know. I have no idea." Right? And then, according to Ted Russ, he went out to formation and he started talking to Ron Ron Bombcamp, Bomber, who also was not involved. Also, and then Andy Ulrich was another one who was off limits because they all had disciplinary issues. Yep. And so then the tack began like questioning each and every person that Pete talked to. Right. And, and and then the other part of the story, I guess, is that they assigned a special officer to investigate this. Like there was actually like a guy and I believe he was according to according to Ted Ross, he was like an SF guy. He was like he was like an SF officer that who, who was tasked with finding out what the hell happened. To this goat. So the pressure's mounting in West Point. Right. During that whole week. Yeah, oh yeah, they're, they're, we we were feeling the pressure, and we kind of we kind of knew, right? We were getting some uh, information through the underground there, and uh, getting little hints of information, pieces of information that uh, we didn't have a much time before we were, you know, our cover was blown. And, we were, and, and Brian Brian Clark, who's your company commander, was also part of the heist. Yeah, so he's got direct interface with with TAC. And he says to you, listen, there's only so far as I can go before I commit an honor violation here with the amount of communications I have. And so you guys make the collective decision. We we can't get the goat down the Navy for Philadelphia. We got to just do something else, right, with the goat. Like that was yeah. the original plan was get it down the Navy, do the prisoner exchange, national live TV. But that was just not going to work. There was too much heat going on in E4, right? And 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 we felt we we felt that. We took pictures, right? And we took a little video and we sent that kind of disseminated that out. But we we always felt that, you know, the the core cadets needed to actually see the goat physically. Like we owed that to them to actually um, show the goat off and to prove that, yeah, we actually did steal it um, and that there would be no doubt. So we were kind of running out of time. And that and that's why we we got my my father involved, because we didn't have too many options. And we needed somebody that lived close because we only lived about an hour and a half away from West Point. Um, so we needed somebody close that could have easy access um, back up to us. Right. Yeah, a couple couple points to order to, to go over the detailed planning, if you remember, if, and again, hats off to Ted and Jim and the rest, but it was pretty detailed to make sure we weren't going to break any written USCC code. Uh, so even though we defeated the alarm system, we broke the, we, broke the locks we still replaced it with replacement locks so there'll be no uh like depreciation cost or any cost in in, in currents on the you know the farm and the naval academy all that we left a note there and we left a ransom note basically and we and we used the exchange cadets at, at naval academy put a uh, a note on the superintendent uh, down there for a, you know basically it was cadet borrowing that wasn't you know technically stealing because we'd return it in time for the game and we had a plan to unveil it right before the game we assumed that the the pressure was going to mount but as soon as we got back to west point after totaling my car and then we still went into a uh, disinformation campaign so then we started a rumor mill we started calling other companies cqs and saying hey we heard it was d2 who did it like hey i heard i4 did it hey i heard uh, i heard a1 did it and started a rumor mill to to uh, cover our trail a little bit and we did interact with the first captain and the uh, regimental staff. You remember if 
but we never allowed them to talk to us to not get a direct verbal order. So we couldn't get or either. We didn't break a direct written order because it wasn't written in the USCC at that time. It is afterwards. And then it, we couldn't get uh, in trouble for a direct verbal order because we never we just hang up the phone because we'd kind of call and like, hey, this is the, you know, the goats, the goat team, the get team, uh, goat extraction team. And, you know, given our demands and updates, goat's fine. It'll be all right. And they'd start talking. We'd hang up on them. Like, so we couldn't get a direct order from them. So we had, they had no, I, I'm, I still am proud for like, they had no idea whoever they, that investigating officer, they had no idea who it was. They were, it got to the point, but the pressure was mounting both, I think on Omar down there because, you know, they were, you know, suspects. And that's why that was a compartmented off in itself, the moving of the goat. So, if anyone else got pinched, they couldn't give up. They couldn't give up the goat. So we went that far to make sure nobody get pinched uh, would do it. And yes, on on Turtle and uh, Andy Rendon and Pete and all, and they're all radioactive. They'd be kicked out in a minute. So like we protected them by not uh, telling them anything, so they could answer truthfully on the whole honor code thing if they were pinched. And then we just kept our mouth shut. Um, but the pressure mounted to the point where they were going to, they were, in my opinion, point of order, they, they violated the honor code by using the honor code against the cadets saying, you must tell us if you, to all the co uh, company commanders, you must tell us if you know anything about this. And if you don't, we're going to kick you out for an honor code, which I thought was a violation itself of the honor code. But, and we didn't want Brian to go down to the ship and put him in a bad pickle. So we modified the plan of instead of unveiling right before because we want to unveil the goat right before the game and get the crowd going nuts, bananas, and get it just out of the world, like raise the roof of the whole stadium and motivate. That was the whole point. Motivate the core, motivate the team, and beat Navy. Um, so that that's where if kicked in, Mr. If, to be part of the OPSEC compartmentalization plan. So getting it to the – we were going to do it on our terms, and our terms were like, well – if we can't get it to the game, let's do it at the beat Navy dinner. And that's when if's dad drove it up to the mess hall and we had a plan there. If you want to cover that, if. Well, oh, yeah. That, before we get to that moment, it's kind of a culminating moment. I want to think about some other things too. I also understand that it got published in a local newspaper in New Jersey, that the goat was in New Jersey. Somehow there was like this breach of, of the OPSEC where there was an article written in New, in New Jersey, right? The, the Newton local press or something. Yeah. Yeah, that was that was actually the Sussex County Herald. Uh, they did an article, and honestly, I don't I don't even remember how <laughs> how they got the information or to do that article. Um, but th that article was published in in a, in the local paper um, in in the county in in New Jersey, Sussex County, where Newton is um, located. So yeah, they did that. That is true. Yes, so, so you, yeah. got all, you have all this pressure mountain. You say, you know what? We got we to lift and shift here. We got to change it. It's not going to Philadelphia. We're going to bring it to the Beat Navy dinner. And so Andy, your old man, drove onto the apron with the truck, with the goat. I mean, first of all, what's it look like when he's going through the gate? You know, I got to think about that. Like there, there's MPs at the gate. Here's a guy driving in. Was it in a truck or was it in a van? The, uh, it was in a van. It was in a van, yep. It was in a van. So but, we, but, we, but we brought horses. We brought ghosts. We brought a lot of things through the gates of West Point. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I mean, I don't I don't even think he had a hard time going through the, the gate. I think he just kind of, 
played it innocent and just smiled and say, how you doing? And, and, and drove right in, you know, he actually was pretty innocent while I'm doing this whole mission. He just kind of did what, whatever we asked him to do. You know, we we're, I was like, Hey, just drive the van up there. You'll be okay. Um, just, just meet us in front of the, the mess hall, you know? And he said, okay. <laughs> and he did it, you know, all smiles too. Big old so, smile. So one of Ted's greatest regrets that he mentions at this point was that you didn't get a picture in the mess hall. There was still a, a, a thought, there was a shred of hope that you might get away with this without getting in trouble. So you, you put bags over your heads, right? To go in there as like anonymous cadets, right? Yeah, yeah. I think I think we had our, uh, we had tar black bucket. hoods. Yeah, the tar, tar bucket, bucket. Uh, Hoods, yep. I guess if I guess if the investigating officer looks for the tar bucket with uh, eye hole covers in it because we cut up our tar buckets because we went in full yeah. dress. Yeah, we wanted to stay anonymous because uh, again, they never really technically caught us. We ended up turning ourselves in to not put BC in a bad spot. Um, so yeah, we wanted to still deliver it on our terms, I guess. Uh, so you cut still eye holes. You cut eye holes out of the tar bucket and put the tar bucket over your head with the eye holes. That, that's what you did. Yeah, just the just the cover. We we cut out holes and we had that over our over our head to uh, hide our identity. And then, um, correct me if I'm if I'm wrong, Braggs, but I'm pretty sure, right? Didn't you make an anonymous phone call to uh, the hockey team? Because I'm pretty sure we had some bodyguards, we, we which did. was the hockey team, as we came in. We. We did. We were, so again. We were worried about being cut off at the past without having the culminating effect and not be tackled by an OC or uh, somebody who was not happy with us. Um, and and all we we're doing again is it's kind of crescendo. We were talking about the blood lady before. We we're trying to have a crescendo at the right time. So yeah, we 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 widened the circle there, and we didn't think they would get in trouble because it was just some some heavies there to to make a blocking, a blocking path to make sure we could get the goat into the center of the mess hall and have all, you know, 4,000 cadets, you know, screaming and, and going crazy over it. So we, we brought it in and we put it on a, uh, one of the push carts from the, uh, that the, the waiters bring out. Um, so it could be raised up there. Cause it was, it was kind of nervous at that time. Uh, I think with 4,000 people yelling and throwing food and, uh, <laughs> Yeah, it was it was pretty loud there. Uh, well, this is Scott Clemenson, another person that I interviewed, and I'll overlay his voice here when I when I make the montage. He talks about how the goat had a panic attack and pissed itself when it walked into the mess hall. Right? Like, yeah, I, it basically I, I kind of remember that too. Actually, that I think it was like kind of had a nice stream all the way up the uh, the hallway as it was getting delivered. Because I mean, imagine you're this goat. You're you just previously on a on a farm, chewing on hay, relaxing. Next thing you know, you got four thousand cadets screaming. And what he what he recalls is it just collapsed into a pile of piss, and it looked like it had a panic attack. And he ended up taking because I think you gave it to to Scott Clemenson. He's the one who received the uh, the goat from you, right? Hmm. Yeah, I I I tell you we. That's kind of like a blur for me. I just remember, you know, as soon as we walked through the door, I mean, the whole dining facility erupted and it was just so loud. And there was people trying to come up and, and, and touch the goat and pet the goat. And they were getting body checked by some of the hockey players. And uh, 
you know, there was a food fight that erupted and it, it was just loud and noisy and people are standing up on the, the tables and the goat just completely melted down. And I just remember we just wanted to drop off that goat and and get out of there as quick as we can without anybody like knowing who we were. Yeah. And that's what we did. Yeah. We kind of dropped and ran. Yeah. Well, yeah, it was a it turned into a basically a four thousand person food fight. And then we wanted to drop it off and, and hand it off to the, the, you know, cadet leadership there. And it was, I think it was, uh, Flem there, Scott. And, uh, uh, but we, we didn't want the, the goat to have a, any type of panic tag. That certainly wasn't the goal. In fact, even when we had it at the farm, we had a vet checking on it, uh, periodically. It wasn't like we were, uh, you know, feeding it cold pizza. I mean, we had veterinarian <laughs> care for it and stuff. I gotta say, I am, I'm still impressed. And maybe this, like, was a uh, foreshadowing of the future uh, brilliance of military planning, what planners that we would eventually become general officers leading our army. But the idea that you, well, first of all, you did the recons, multiple recons. You identified where it was. You thought about reading like the regulations, making sure that you could, you know, everything from replacing the lock that you broke, you know, so that there was no like damage. There's no like, um, you know, the, you were not creating any kind of, uh, uh, you know, economic uh, damage to somebody that they could then allege like a petty crime or something. Um, and then all the way up to the fact that you had to make this sudden last minute change. And I mean, I, I would argue, I think the memory of bringing it into the spirit dinner is almost better than what it would have been trying to get it down to Navy. Right. Because it, it just basically uh, it might have been not covered on national TV. We would all have been on the march on. We wouldn't have known what was going on. I mean, that to me, I, I can only imagine too the memories you have. I mean, I have my own memory of this thing happening and being like just a random generic person. But for you guys walking up those steps with the goat, that had to be just unbelievable. I, I got to tell you, that was like a, a major thrill for me. In fact, um, I, I actually tell this story like every year because I teach. I'm a high school math teacher and I'm a coach. And right before the Army-Navy game, every single year, I don't even teach. I just tell this story every single year. I've been doing it for 25 years. I've been telling the same story, you know, with my own little twist, you know, probably a couple of extra things in there thrown in there just for uh, enjoyment. But it's uh, it's like a thrill. And and my my just since we brought my father into this, he has a frame picture of the picture where we are holding the goat and he has it on, on his like windowsill. That's how much it meant to him. I mean, he still thinks about it. He still tells stories about it. And part of this montage, I want to get him. If you, if you, you, you said he might be available to do that. I love to hear his perspective of getting a phone call from, you know, young, young Andy. I love, Hey dad, get to go get this goat for me. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, he would do it. He'd be, he'd be thrilled. I mean, He'll do it. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, so, so, um, so Andy, you mentioned what you're doing just real quick, like little aside. So you're, you're teaching high school, living in New Jersey family. What's, what's, give me the lay of the land of your current sit rep. Uh, well, I've been, I ended up getting out of the military after eight years and I came back, moved back to my hometown and got into teaching. And I've been doing that ever since I've been teaching math and, uh, coaching wrestling and uh, I'm living in the same area. So I'm, I'm actually currently living up at uh, Culver Lake in uh, 
in Branchville, New Jersey, and uh, just living the dream, just having a, a fun time. So, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I've been doing. Good for you. Thank, and continuing to serve, living, living our, our class motto, duty shall be done. Um, but when, when you're doing your annual discussion of the stealing the ghost story, and you got, I, I imagine, I, I picture these wrestlers all taking a knee as, you know, yeah. Coach Iliff, you know, you know tell, tells them a story. So what, what are the, what are the embellishments of the story or what are the, um, what are the lessons learned that you provide to your, your young listeners about stealing the Navy goat? Let's see. Well, I, I tell, number one, I tell the story just because the kids love to hear army stories. So, you know, I, I have a narrow window of experience, you know, for my short time in, but I had a lot of good stories and the kids love that, you know, but I, I honestly tell the story just for a sense of adventure, you know, and, and if there was a motto or a, a theme to it, uh, a lesson to be learned, it's, it's for the kids just to say, Hey, go out and live life, have a good time. And, and, you know, every once in a while, take a couple risks because, you know, it, it, it sometimes pays off and, and you're left with a, a lot of good memories when you do that. I mean, this is obviously a, a very good memory for me and it was risky for us. Right. I mean, I, I can't say I can't take any credit for all the reconnaissance and all the detailed plan, planning because um, on my part, because that was that was all the other guys that that did that. But I certainly enjoyed um, being part of of the plan and, and going down there and, and nabbing the goat and um it's just good memories. And, and for the kids in, in my high school, um, just to tell them stories about the military, um, I do it actually with a, a goal because I hope that maybe some kids are inspired to join the service. Um, I also tell it um, not just for fun, but also to, to show kids that there's another part of life outside the, the little town of Newton we have a certain population here in our town that, uh, you know, they don't have a lot and they don't have a very broad uh, perspective of life out there. So this is kind of, kind of help them to see the world from a, a different viewpoint or different lens really. So that, that's why, that's why I do it. And, and, and storytelling is part of that. So telling army stories is, is, is a great part of it. And they, and they, and they enjoy that. They have fun. So let's talk about after, after the spirit dinner, after you hand this thing off, you go back to the barracks. You're now just you, you think you're able to maintain the the anonymity. How is it that you end up turning yourselves in? Like what 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 happened there? Mm. Well, I I can tell you. I remember. I actually was asked directly by the tactical officer. He asked me directly because I guess he finally. Um, Maybe not everybody was named immediately, but he he came up to me directly and he said, Cadet Iliff, did you steal Navy's goat? <laughs> I mean, it was a direct question. So and I was like, oh, well, that was can't get around that question. And I was like, well, yes, sir, I did. <laughs> you know. <laughs> you know, so it, he just asked me straight out, you know, and then and, and that was it for me. You know? So did he write you up? Do you have like the, the old held report that, you know, like lack of judgment, conduct on becoming of a cadet or like what, what was the, what was the violation? What, what, end, and this, by the way, this guy, was this guy a grad? He was not a grad, right? The attack. Hmm. I don't know. See, Braggs, what was our tactical in the, well, officer in, a the, grad? in the book, Ted Russ's book, the, 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 
there's a like historical fiction. The tack was not a grad, and and was always had a, a chip on the shoulder. But I don't know do you, if if because I would imagine if you're a tack, you're not going to like really drill these guys for stealing the goat. But I, you know, he he did not drill me. He just asked the question, and once I answered, he said okay, and that and then he went on his way. And then next thing. Um, I remember, you know, we're all together sitting in front of the, um, let's see, we sat in front of the commandant's office, I believe, right? Um, uh, getting grilled for a, a, about an hour. Really? It, yeah. So the com, yeah. Was it the comm? Was it the comm or well, the we soup? Got, we got a soups board, but we got, uh, I'm trying to see if I, I have, I'm not at home right now, so I'm driving, uh, but I've got it frame jim eisenhower gave me a copy of it uh like a year and a half ago with all the charges we were brought up to you know conduct unbecoming an officer um I, i'd have to i'll have to read it i can get it to you jamie after and send it i'm, I'm looking for oh, a picture for so it right now but i definitely have so a picture of it because there's two two different aspects post captured and i think i can't remember who got you know again we were worried about brian getting an pinched in an honor type thing and I, I don't remember getting directly asked then and then then at that point we're just like all right we're all going down together you know we're not going to put anyone in a compromising situation so we i think the rest of us just turned ourselves in got our soups board went in front of the the comm there and it was uh that we, we thought we we're all getting kicked out to be honest right there you know that was not that we weren't we weren't going in confident on that one but we prepared our defense of uh well, you know, not going to quibble. Like, yes, we stole this, but here's how we thought we mitigated those risks. Um, but in one of those coming out of that, because it was contingent, it was like, so obviously we didn't get kicked out, but we thought we were all getting kicked out there. We all got boomeranged. Yeah, do the boomerang. That was my second Navy boomerang. So we just, you know, you get right on the bus afterwards. You can't party or anything like that. Um, but they said nothing else can, because General Bramett was true. I still remember him pretty dang emotional. Then, as he sounded like he was, you know, it was a, it was an emotional experience, and we got threatened. If anything else comes out in the press of this, we're going to kick you out. So we had to call back the Army Times, CBS, uh, NBC. We had TV spots, national level press that we had to plead with to not to run the story, or we'd get kicked out. Um, so we we because we had stuff in the can and interviews and stuff, but then. We were like, well, if you run it, we're going to get kicked out. So please don't run it. So it uh, that was that was a, a little bit part of it um, on the on the fallout drill there. Uh, but this is a story you need to get. I didn't know part of this story until about two years ago. And you talked to Jim Eisenhower. So we were getting kicked out. I think I was. You have to ask General Bramlett if he was thinking about. It sounded like he wanted to kick us out, and that's what I felt in that room that day. I wasn't feeling uh, like this was a a kangaroo court fake thing. But my understanding, according to Jim Eisenhower, is that General Schwarzkopf, who is uh, getting ready to invade Iraq, had a picture of us with a goat on his on his jock table. And as Navy admirals come in, he pointed out to him and had got a call from home through a connection, through a connection, I think, through Jim's family to Mrs. Schwarzkopf, to General Schwarzkopf. And my understanding, second information, General Schwarzkopf then called either General Bramlett or General Palmer and said, hey, really be ashamed if you kick those kids, those cadets out. It's real motivational over here, uh, inspiring us here for Desert Storm. Um, and I didn't know that part of the story until 
about two years ago from Jim Eisenhower. So that's worth uh, digging into. No kidding. Wow. That's fascinating. That would, that would really be something. I mean, aside from those, I was thinking I, those interviews that they, that those are sitting on the cutting room floor somewhere in NBC or in some, like, we'll never, we'll uh, never get those, but wow, that's incredible. I tried to, and I tried to pay it forward. So a couple of years ago when they stole the goat, I did write some letters of, uh, support for the cadet i don't think the cadets know it but i did put in some uh hey it would be i'm no schwarzkopf but it'd be like uh hey it would really be a shame if those cadets get kicked out doing something a spirit mission like it's spirit it's for spirit um so that was uh two or three years ago i remember that that went down well did you hear the story about they stole the they stole the air force falcon so no so the, these cadets stole the air force falcon and the falcon they put it in a dog cage, right? And the falcon's going nuts in the dog cage and like and bangs up its wing and is bleeding and they think they might have to put the damn oh. thing down. And oh, that's not good. That was not a good situation, yeah. But I, I can only imagine like being a fly on the wall for that. Like these cadets, like I can picture these cadets like standing around this dog cage as the as the the feathers are flying out of the cage. Like what the fuck do we do here? Like this is crazy. <laughs> we just have to get rid of it. Not um, good. That, that good. You got. We tried to thread the needle of do no real harm to an animal. There again, that that care. Uh, we were feeding it. It was at a farm in a barn, warm, all that. Did you have like so? Sound. You guys had you did recons. You had you know, this plan around mitigating the uh, collateral damage, all this kind of stuff. What were? Did you have like some contingency plans? Like what happens if? God forbid the goat dies in our care, or the goat escapes, <laughs> or you know somebody else steals the goat from us. Like, what what were some of the things that might have happened if those situations had happened? Ooh, I don't know. I, I don't know. If we, I don't know if we had that many contingencies on on everything. I think once we figured out where the goat was, and because in fact, because my recollection is when we went to the farm. And we jumped out of that van and we looked for the the goat. We we didn't find the goat immediately. Uh, it took that's us like, Ted, a little bit of searching. That's what Ted says is that there's 20 minutes where he's walking around and there was like no goat. And you're like, damn, all this planning, nothing's going to happen, right? Yeah. The, and we found the, this pen, you know, in this little building in the pen that the goat was actually kept in. And uh, that was kind of like off to the side, I think, or, or farther away from like the main part of the, uh, the farm. And so, um, uh, I think we were just so focused on just finding the goat. And I think we were so happy that we actually found it and, and, and got it. Then it was just, it was fighting time at that point, because when the door was taken off of the building, you know, it was like a little, I think it was a concrete, like, um, shed almost, or a little building where the goat was there was an alarm system. So we assumed the alarm system was, was set off. And then it was just a matter of time. So we, we kind of grabbed that goat as fast as we can and, and took off with it. You know, and we, we picked up the goat, you know, it wasn't like put him on a leash and have him come. We all grabbed him and, and picked him yeah. up and ran with him. So he, he was in our arms. Yeah. That building. So again, it had a, it had a fence around it. I don't know if it had bob wire at the top, but we didn't climb over it because that's one of the locks we cut. And then we got to the door, which we knew had an alarm on it. So then we used the bolt cutters to remove the hinges and slide the door out like laterally and hoping that it wasn't triggering the alarm because the door didn't swing open. 
if, if I remember correctly, if. And yeah. then, yeah, the, the, the goat was absolutely in the, in the corner asleep, like, what the heck is going on here? And he wasn't moving. He was an ornery. So, uh, uh, that I, you know, if I, Ted, you know, we just were manhandling this thing, getting off the X because we thought the, you know, the QRF was coming so to get us. Uh, but we had it was again, a goat, had, it was a goat had, mugging at that point. We mugged them at that point. Yeah, <laughs> you know, had, I, that, that probably the only was, moment we we were not so gentle. It was just grabbing the goat at, at, initially, but after that, we yeah. took good care. of them. Yeah, and then again, met rental vans, no POVs, tried to, to cover their tracks, and we didn't have uh, we didn't have black credit cards or anything like that. But we did the best we could to hide the tracks on the uh, the vehicles because then we dumped that and then moved our way back up up north. Um, yeah, but we, I would just say on the contingencies, I, we had a contingency, but I need to keep that compartmented until I'm out of uniform. <laughs> there you go. That'll be for my follow on, my follow on interview with you. Yeah. I'm looking forward. Yeah. I'm looking forward to that. Um, well, you know, there, there's another piece of this too. And another, and I'm going to also overlay the conversation with, I had with Luke Kinetic, our classmate. So Luke was, he was in charge of the, um, he was an army mule rider. So once the, once the goat got handed off to Clemenson, then it went to the army vet to get checked out. And then the, then the mule riders were responsible for the goat. So you may or may not know this, but your actual plan of getting it down the Navy was, was actually done because we were too close to the Navy. By the time you guys did the spirit dinner, that was a Thursday night. We ended up going down to Navy. So we took the goat down to Navy ourselves. And those mule riders who are just tasked with taking care of the goat, they shaved a, an army letter A in its ass and, and colored it, colored it um, uh, gold. And uh, so they have a picture, the mule riders have a picture of them with the army goat with an A shaved in its ass. And they brought it down to, uh, they brought it down to Philadelphia. That, that would be a good picture to see. I actually never have seen that picture. I mean, we, we, we all knew that they did that. We were very proud of them, actually. Um, but I, I actually never saw the uh, the actual picture of that. Oh, I got it here. Hold on. Let me see if I can find it. And it's with our fallen our fallen <laughs> classmate, Shannon. He, he had he he uh, he was in the picture. Let me see if I can find it. It'll take me a little bit uh, to uh, find it in my in my computer. But I'll, I'll see if I can find it. Um, so are, are, are either of you guys going to go to the Army Navy? Uh, game this this week or two weeks i am yeah we're going up uh we're actually going up a week early blanketing the whole new england area just to get out and uh intermix with the public tell the army story um tell that uh it's a it's a good it's good life uh for those who decide to join and just get the word out through it in an area that there's not many military bases so we're kicking off the week up there with a whole bunch of special operations around the Patriots Chargers game for a salute to soft. And then I'll be hitting a bunch of uh, high schools, my old high school. We got some Rangers going to some soup kitchens. We got some other, you know, volunteer and recruiting stuff going on the whole week. Um, I'll be at the state house on Wednesday. And then uh, we're trying to put some finishing touches on our own army Navy video. And then uh, we will be there. We'll be there for the game on Saturday. Cool. I'm gonna, Andy. I can't find that picture. I'm gonna. I'm gonna find it. I'll, I'm gonna email it to you because I. Oh, Luke awesome. Kinetic, yeah, thank you. Luke Kinetic, He sent it to me so that I had it for uh, to to post on his uh, his little thing for the 
for his uh, podcast. So, um, so, so uh, guys, I really appreciate the time. This is tremendous. Like thinking about what it was like stealing the goat. I'm going to, I'm going to use this as a podcast in and of itself. I'm going to also splice together some memories and put it all together into one big montage. Cause I've got all these different perspectives. I got the two of you, I got Ted Ross, Andy, I'm going to get your dad. Um, we're going to get uh, maybe Brian Clark. I'm going to also, I got Bramlett, I got uh, Luke Kinetic, I got Scott Clemenson. So we got this whole sort of like 360 degree view of what, of what was happening there. I just got to tell you how grateful I am, first of all, um, that you guys did this because it's an awesome story, but also how grateful I am to call you classmates and friends. And I'm so thankful for your continued service, Andy, you in the classroom and being a leader and being a coach and John, of course, you know, you guys are, you're, you're the, you're, you're, you're the one, you're the classmate I probably brag about the most. Um, so thankful for what you're doing. And I look forward to the, whenever that day comes for you to take off that uniform, uh, being there to celebrate your service to our country. It's just, you're a tremendous, tremendous uh, representative of the class of 91. Um, so before we hang up here, uh, you know, maybe any final thoughts or any thoughts you guys have about this experience dealing the GOAT, experience of West Point, and how it's influenced your life. Just, you know, final thoughts to leave with our class. So maybe, Andy, you go first. Uh, well, obviously, it was a, an awesome experience. Great storytelling moment that I've taken on for my whole life. Uh, as far as my the West Point experience, I mean, uh, it's weird how how strange certain things can come back into your life and influence certain things. I mean, once I got out of the military and went into teaching, you wouldn't really think it would be that influential, but it actually is. And um, I think a lot of, a lot of kids really get inspired when people have something to tell them. And uh, that's one thing I'm grateful for is having the army experience, having the West point experience. And then also, you know, you said it, uh, that, that Braggs is, is one of the guys you brag about most. Well, so do I actually. And, uh, I actually text him this on veterans day. Um, right before every veterans day, I tell army stories and I actually use Braggs as my example. I actually put his picture up and, and I, and I say, I know that guy. <laughs> and, and this is what this guy does for a living. How about that? And, uh, the kids really enjoy that. So, you know, it all comes around, it all blends together and it's all part of, you know, the overall experience of life and that, and, and the kids love it. So. John, how about you? Uh, well, I, I would just say, I mean, the, it was magical. The, the time at West Point for very uh, forming experiences, the goat being, you know, the pinnacle of that, but all those four years of shared, uh, journey some hardships a lot of laughs some cries there uh made special that they truly are lifelong relationships unlike others you know and that's why i'd be talking to some young cadet listening to the podcast in the future who might be contemplating oh, i might you know might choose a different path or might uh, or somebody who's entertaining but do i want to go to west point or not and i would say i would i would trade for the world not all of it was fun let's be honest <laughs> but th that's what it uh it made those bonds so much more special. Like it is very unique, very unique. I feel fortunate beyond fortunate to have classmates like you two, uh, company mates, like, uh, again, Ted, 
BC, Jim, anybody. I mean, if uh, you name it, Easy Pete, like those are unique bonds. Like I can't tell you the amount of times where I've picked up the phone in like 30 seconds, like, Hey, uh, whoever Pete, Hey Pete, I need, I need this. Like, Oh, okay. All right. Like there's not, there's, there's very few of those relationships in your life where it's, it's truly like family and you do anything for that person. And that's because of those shared experiences and um, the goat just happens to be one of them. But as far as me, I mean, thanks for the kind words. I'm humbled. Like I'm humbled just to like, no way in my wildest dreams I thought being the military the army this long I honestly don't know how it happened it's it's certainly uh because of great uh support I've gotten both from my family but then leaders past present future soldiers I've got to work with and I've been part of a good team and that's all I wanted to be on is be on a team sport the army's a team sport West Point was a team sport you go through it individually but you're on a team at all times that's what's been so addictive for me to desire like i'm excited to come to work to this day to be on a team working on the toughest problems and hopefully contributing towards those problems and just hopefully just be remembered as a you know best teammate possible and whether it's a kickball kickball team a bar fight or stealing the goat i hope someone wants to pick me on their team so i feel fortunate and blessed and uh to call you all classmates and felt like we just lived up to our motto of uh, duty shall be done for sure. Um, well, dude, I could, I could keep talking to you all night. So I, if you guys want to keep talking, I can keep talking, but I, I just, I, you know, this has been magical. You know, one thing I'd love to, I'm picking your brain a little bit, John, like, like there are plenty of people in your, in your history who have been like mentors to you, you know? And so I imagine like, do you pick up the phone? Do you, who do you call when you're like, Hey, I got to deal with this complex issue Who's my guy? Is it Tony Thomas? Is it like like who do, who do you who do you go to and say I need to, I need to bend your ear on this a little bit? Uh, well, yeah, well, I start with like my current job, so I I contacted every former USASOC commander and asked them for their advice of how to do it better, anything they would do different, any advice. So again, because it was job specific there, but yeah, I've been blessed to be around all sorts of great leaders. You know, General Votel, Admiral Craven, uh, General McChrystal, General Miller, General Thomas, you know, I mean, the list goes on and on. And, you know, I got General Fenton right now. I mean, it's I'm, I'm just blessed to have been around great leaders all over the place. That's both in and out of soft because I you know I spent some time out of soft and, and deployed with General Funk. I, you know, General Martin, Ted and Joe, you know, I I've got to see a lot of different leaders like that i mean that was even back in school like one of my favorite classes was all the leadership classes of just studying how to be a leader um we had that combat leadership course back in school and i, I don't know if that's still i don't know if that still goes on i remember hanging on every word to uh, all the vietnam vets and korean war vets and just their stories they had um so an embarrassment of riches of people i can call um but i in the job now it's been probably either recency of or similarity of job or similarity of problem like just the problems are they're different sometimes but sometimes they rhyme with historical problems if that makes sense yeah i mean i was fascinated listening to andy andy hall he's one of my podcasts that i gave and he was working with general red hernandez who was the heading heading up the cyber institute and he was talking about this gray beard community which is a little bit of a sexist terminology because there's plenty of women that are also retired generals who are part of this but he said like there's this whole like 
world of retired generals that are interfacing with the current leadership of the army and, and helping them to kind of think through the complexities of what, like, almost like, um, I picture like, uh, I don't know if they have to maintain secret security clearances to be like the sounding board of so-and-so, but it's really fascinating to me to think that, that, that that happens. Like you pick up the phone, like, Hey, you know, general Thomas, or general crystal, like, can you give me some perspective here? You know, I think that's pretty interesting. Yeah. Uh, some of them absolutely are actually security clearances and come back and, most of the time when you talk to them, I think to a T, every single one, whether they're out making money or working for Job X or they, they they got into teaching, whatever it is, the thing they say they enjoy the most is coming back and and being that kind of graybeard mentor. Like it's like an official mentor position you can be for warfighters and CTC rotations and and there's a bunch of rules to it, but uh, there's absolutely a contingent of uh, graybeards that help out in many different ways that helps uh helps keep perspective of the army special operations you name it west point whatever the story over time um so it's pretty cool yeah you know my other thought for you if you could if you don't mind expanding on this a little bit further too is like i mean you're i know you have to deal with big macro problems big macro issues like global geopolitical you're testifying before congress you got like like i can't even I can't even wrap my head around what you have to wrap your head around, right? But back in the day, you know, you and I were just two 21-year-old kids, like, you know, driving around doing stupid shit. Like somewhere, like you have to be, you have to train your mind to get to that, to get to that sort of like big brain level. Like what, I, I, the Army sends you those things, but I, I imagine there's got to be some guidance to say, listen, you cannot worry about the little things because your head's got to be on the big picture. Like, what was that transition like for you going from like the tactical to the strategic? Well, that's, that's tough to, to answer, but uh, I don't know if it was a certain point in time. Cause I, I think I'm still learning it, you know, uh, control what you can control, um, focus on the things that are most important to you and that only you can do. And that would be at every level, tactical district, operational to strategic. Um, a lot of the old, you know, I keep relearning stuff I learned a long time ago, troop leading procedures, supervision, you know, communication, understanding intent, you know, definitely intent is one of those, like uh, if you go back to the goat mapping mission, we had a scheme maneuver, but it, we had to go into contingencies and, you know, uh, and, uh, and fallback plans there to get the goat and kept reacting to all the different changes and variables there. So it's a, it's a great question of uh, what's, what's, nature and what's nurture and what's innate and what's taught and learned uh the art of of the uh, but all those things are formative and i think a lot of those things at west point help with that you know whether it's the like time time man do right whatever we're taking at that time when i tell my kids like yeah i think i carried like 22 and a half credit hours or something like that my kids think i'm crazy and then you had to do laundry and you had to do the minutes and you had to get up and shine your shoes and you had to do sports you had to do like that whole time management, I don't think it's talked about enough of that. And then free, like my job now, like I'm sitting here traveling with Dan and Anthony. Um, you have to shift from totally different subject to totally different subject, like at the drop of a hat because of the meeting. Like I'm, how far out am I right now? 45. 45 minutes, I'll be giving a speech to, how many of you? I don't know. I don't know. 
I don't know, like 40 or 50 businessmen in Charlotte and the, the intersection of really, I'm going to talk counter China uh, and how they're part of the fight that there is no sanctuary here in the homeland. And they need to be part of this whole of nation pushback on China. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I don't know if I can put my hand on that. I think lifelong learner. I mean, I, I continually try and learn from things. These guys probably laugh at me. Probably better to ask the guys in the car with me, but uh, <laughs> I'm always, I'm always learning. Surround yourself with people who are smarter than you, right? That's probably yeah. Dan and Anthony in the car here are smarter than me, <laughs> but I never say I'm an expert in anything. It's like, man, I always feel in my DNA is like, holy crap, I got to read a heck of a lot more. I got to listen a lot more. I got to do a lot more. I always feel like I don't, uh, I, I need to know more, but um, I go back to, I talk about a lot when I talk leadership, I don't want to have any regrets, especially in the game of life of, you don't want to lose a soldier in combat and say, man, I wish I worked a little bit harder. We trained a little bit harder. We did a little bit more. I thought a little bit more planned a contingency, did it differently. You know, you never want to have that regret. So when I'm talking to junior leaders, I talk to them about taking most advantage of their time because a lot of people are chasing you know, probably like I was to a younger age, chasing the addiction, the attraction of like you join the army, you think you're going to war, you're going to see combat, but you don't know. You don't know when the game starts. Game, the game that you don't get to know when the game starts. You think it might know and serve. You don't really know when you're going to get like shot at. Like uh, so, being ready for that moment, what you're going to do, and it doesn't have to be even a combat shooting thing. It could be an ethical decision making thing. And and, and uh, go back to leadership three hundred one or whatever. Those all sorts of ethical decision making vignettes. And I teach that with some of the, uh, when I have junior leaders shadow me, we do through ethical decision-making. I put them through fires vignettes, like life and death decisions. Like you have to decide, you're going to drop this bomb, yes or no. And it's unwinnable ethically. Like innocent civilians are going to die or troops are going to die or something bad is going to happen. Like there's no 100% right answer. And then we also do that through legal vignettes and put them in unwinnable uh, ethical dilemmas. Of like, what are you going to do? There's no right answer and explain your thought process. So I would say it's just, no, it's no different than working out. You got to work your decision making, your ethical decision making, your all of it all the time. Um, I don't know if that answers you, but I'd say it's a work in progress for me. Yeah, but I, 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 I'm just in awe. I'm in awe of, uh, of, of what, of what you just said and and who you are, and I'm so grateful to call you classmate and friend. And I know you got to go because you got 45 minutes to get. You got to get your head ready for this speech you're going to get. So China's bad. <laughs> So yeah. you know, China's bad. Well, you know, I, I, on another day, I want to sit back with you and have and and think through that what your point is because I have some perspectives in China. I've been to China. I got I've done business in China. I've got friends who are Chinese. Like I've 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 had coffee with them. I've, I've worked with them. Like that's a level. Like getting back to the strategic versus the the um, the tactical. I mean, I have some tactical experience, and I got to say, like. Most of the people, every, every person I've ever dealt with in China, they love America. They love Americans. They love, they're, they're, they, they, they want to cooperate. They want the same things we do, which is like their kids to have a better life than they did. And, 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 and they want to have a, you know, a good life and, and good times, good relationships. That's my experience. Like why, why can't we just focus on that intersection of humanity and say, all right, let, like, let's, let's work together and what an incredible unlock of value it will be if our country and China can just get along and be like, uh, be, be rivals, but not enemies, you know? 
yeah, that would be, that would be great. <laughs> uh, some of that is, well, there's, there's so much in the unclass world uh, that, and I would say we don't have anything against the Chinese people, but we need to be worried about the PLA and the CCP that are not of the ilk of what you just spoke and absolutely have a vision of uh, a one world order of which they're the middle kingdom again and looking to remake the hundred years of shame uh, back on us and absolutely eroding our national security advantages with what they're doing with a whole society uh, approach to erode our culture of everything. The fentanyl precursor chemicals are coming and killing adolescents, you know, American citizens every day that are being funneled by China through Mexico to uh, intellectual uh, 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 theft of property, uh, intellectual property theft, um, which you, sorry, and, I think and, I lost China, No, we got you. We got you. The Chinese are just intercepting your uh, communication with me. <laughs> yep. Yep. They, uh, they've stolen everything. Yeah. Uh, well, so um, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I think we should hang up now and i will uh, i'm gonna splice together some some tidbits from this i'm gonna have most of this in one contiguous podcast minus the section where john you said don't put this on the podcast so i won't have that on there um but I'll, i'm gonna save that for some other for some future conversations you know for 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 you and i i'm looking forward to that yeah well thanks again for uh all your assistance in previous army navy games jamie yeah good times yeah freedom rider we, we've we've uh We've had some fun down downrange together for sure. All, going back all the way back to Korea. So uh, that's, good times. that's right. That's yeah. right. If it's good to see your mug, I will find the 4C and send it to you. I just got to find it on my phone. All yeah, right. thanks. I appreciate that, Braggs. Hey, it was good seeing you. Um, and as always, I'm proud of you. Just so yeah. you know. No, I'm proud of you helping shape the next generation, my friend. We need more of that. We need more role models, positive role models. And I would say male role models in the classroom as well is a underrepresentation for that. So thanks for telling the, uh, the army story and serve selfless service story. Yeah, man, always. <laughs> All right. Say hi, to you, say hi to the, the ifs. Yeah, I, I will. The, uh, just so you, yeah, I don't know. You probably, you probably don't know, but I posted on Facebook. I think the, uh, my mom just passed away actually. A week oh, and a half ago. So, oh, I'm so I'm sorry. Sorry, man. Yeah, no, that's a, that's all right. So she passed. So, um, so it's just my dad now. So, how's your dad so, doing with that? He's, uh, it's a struggle. They were married 62 years, so it was a long time. So he's man. he's 87, going on 88, and, and 62 years is a long time. So it, it's struggling, but he's getting through it. So. We're here with them, um, so it's okay. Very sorry to hear that. If please pass on my condolences and regards. And your mom was great. Uh, hope she wasn't mad at us still to the end of the day. For uh, uh, I can't remember if it was your wedding that we made you late. You missed your whole reception. Yeah, it was yeah. mine. <laughs> she was still mad. I think she was mad the last time I saw her that we missed the wedding reception with you. <laughs> <laughs> wait a minute this is the story oh, we, 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 you, andy you missed your own wedding reception well we it was it was it was the, the, the practice the dinner and, and, and all the rehearsal, oh, the rehearsal, dinner. The rehearsal the, dinner. we missed the rehearsal dinner the groom didn't make it because we were we were out we we actually like made it like 
everybody was waiting for us for the rehearsal, basically. I mean, we, we were pretty late. <laughs> you know, we got a little yeah. rehearsal on there, but they I, they drug us in there. Yeah, I imagine there might have been some some beverages consumed uh, in, prior to that, huh? Yeah, just a few. <laughs> I can't think if Bomber got arrested that night or not, but at Bomber's wedding, uh, he had two black eyes from, from us. Hmm. I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> I don't remember. Another guy. I'm, I'm going to get Bomber on this podcast. E4 is just so rich with personality, I have to say. You got Bomber, you got you guys, you got Easy Pete, got Tammy Ayanako, got uh, uh, Turtle, uh, Jack, Jack Pete Petraka. I mean, just, just some characters, you know? Ted Russ. Eh. So. Collecting. All right. Listen, guys, I could, uh, I could be here all. That's another thing I forgot to mention. That's another thing to, to make. Uh, you got to repeat that one more time. Jamie, I was just saying, uh, I was just saying, don't forget, Ted was a special operations aviator as well. I know we didn't cover that in the podcast, but when you talk about risk and DNA and the journey he was on, the great philosopher was uh, always on a journey. Yeah, Absolutely. Guys, I could be here all night bullshit with you guys. This has been so much fun. <laughs>